I'm Roxanne Cody, and welcome to Just the Right Book. We're a podcast for curious, enthusiastic, and engaged readers. Our job is to help you discover new books in all genres, give you unique insights into your favorite authors, and of course, keep you up to date with what's going on in the literary world. We are joined today by two guests I am very excited uh, to have on. Gwen Glazer and Frank Calarius. And you might not know their names, but you should know their names, and you will after our conversation. They are the hosts of a podcast called The Librarian is In, which is the New York Public Library's podcast about books, culture, and what to read next. And if you listen to them talk about books that they're reading or pop culture or literary zeitgeist, What you'll find is that they are funny, irreverent, and smart. And you'll see what I mean as we get started in this conversation. So, Gwen and Frank, welcome to Just the Right Book. Thank you. you I think you're a star maker, Roxanne. (laughs) Like, you're like, this is going to kick us into the next level, Gwen. I feel great already. We better brace ourselves. I'm I'm ready. This is amazing already. Star maker. (laughs) So, this this is not a very original question, but one that is a little bit irresistible to ask. How did each of you get started as a librarian? Gwen? Me to go first? Okay. Well, I first started really loving books and wanting to be around them all the time when I worked in a bookstore as my very first job. Oh. It was a B. Dalton bookstore in the mall in the town where I grew up. It was like my first summer job that I ever had. Um, and I loved it. I loved being around the books all the time. I loved the people who worked there were so smart and so knowledgeable about books. It totally opened up a whole world for me. Um, so that's how I got started with books. But I also had a career before I became a librarian. I was a political journalist in Washington, D.C. and got really disillusioned wow. with it. Really didn't You got like disillusioned it. then. Back then, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Way back in 2007. I was like, I don't think I want to do this anymore. Um, and wow. yeah, I met a friend of a friend who was a librarian and I had never considered it. I was like, why have I never thought about this before? How is it possible that this career never occurred to me? Um, and then the stars just lined up and I wound up going to library school and getting a job at a library, at an academic library at the same time. And that's how it happened. So Gwen, did you find the shift from a bookstore to a library like a big jump or did it feel small? You know, I mean, because in some ways all they have in common which sounds kind of odd, that all they have in common is books. Mm -hmm. But everything else about how they run or do things is quite different. Mm -hmm. That's very true. There were a lot of years in between. Mm -hmm. So it sort of didn't feel like going from one to another, but I definitely still draw on lessons that I think I learned there often. And it definitely influenced my decision to go to library school for sure. Yeah. And I do think booksellers have a lot they could learn from librarians and librarians have a lot that they could learn from bookstores. So it's unfortunate they they don't have more structured, coordinated conversations, which they don't, right. that I'm aware of. Not often. I really wish that they Except did. Except for us, the three of us right. now. We're going to start it right We're here. Start it right Do you now. think it's because there's a d- difference between commerce and nonprofits? Yes, I do. Is that I the d- core of it? I do. You know, for instance, we had a kids manager who was brilliant. But she didn't really like the idea of selling books, you know, so that she was much more suited to being in an environment where the sales were incidental. Right. And she went on to library school and it became and is 
a highly respected children's librarian. She's a judge on any number of awards, but she wasn't suited to commerce where, you know, no matter what's going on, as much as I care about the principle of what we're doing, we still have to pay staff and we have to pay rent and, you know, and consider where the money's going to come in and where is it going to go and that there's enough to do both. Right. So there's some people who don't want to worry about that. I don't. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Roxanne, you seem to be able to straddle both those things rather well. I think I think you'd find that Which most nice. bookstore owners, you know, Tattered Cover, Pals, yeah. Harvard Bookstore, Books and Books, those are all stores doing the same kind of thing. Yeah. You know, that they know you've got to – the days of saying, oh, it's just about the principal of the thing are long gone. Amazon, you know, took a Mack truck to that. So – you just have to do it if you want to be a bookstore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got my start in bookstores too, basically, in Shakespeare and Company. Up on the Upper West Side? Y- yeah. They, when they opened a downtown store on Lower Broadway, I opened that store in the late 80s. Oh, really? As a college kid. And um, they, that location has since closed, but I've heard that they're opening another location in Greenwich Village soon. So I started in um, bookstores, too, and I didn't even think of libraries, actually. I thought of going into publishing. Um, Mm -hmm. Even though when I look back, I'm like, really? Thank God. (laughs) I I mean, all respect to publishing. I mean, but it it wouldn't have suited me. Right. It wouldn't have suited me. But eventually, one rainy day, I heard of an open house at the library that um, was looking for a job, like a career fair. And I was like, what the heck? And I... The rest is history. But um, now that I've heard, heard both of you talking, I think the key for me is, for sure, I don't have to sell anything. I mean, yeah. I, don't have to, I don't have a bottom line to meet, which I'm grateful for, like you pointed out, Roxanne. And the second thing is that the environment of, of bookstores and libraries, they were these physical spaces that had these books in them. And I remember when I was thinking about a career, and it did drift towards libraries, it was like, what do I want to be surrounded with all day? Mm-hmm. Like, because I realize I'm going to be working. Who's both going? Yeah, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be working more than I'm going to be having a private life, probably in lots of ways. You spend most of your time or a lot of your time at, at your job, and I thought if I liked fashion, I would want to be around clothes. I could see that, but mm-hmm. that's if I liked, you know, hardware, I'd be in a hardware store. But then I thought books because it was limitless potential. I loved the idea of potential. Yeah, that you could open any book and be. In a, in a world of chemistry, open another book, be in, be in Broadway, open another book and be in the despairs of addiction. I mean, you could be all over the place. And that's what I liked. It's actually really funny that you started talking about the spaces. It just jogged a memory for me that I don't think I've thought about since I was working in that bookstore as a teenager. But I remember that I like people weren't supposed to stay there. It was in a mall, right? It was like a, yeah, one of those very narrow, yeah. Yeah. right? Um, and it and people weren't supposed to like hang out and read books there all day. And I remember we were supposed to tell people if we saw them like sitting down or whatever, mm-hmm. like, could you please move along? And I remember going up to these two kids who were probably like 12 or 13 who were sitting on the floor in the like children's YA section, which was very small in this very small store. Um, and being like, I'm supposed to tell you to leave but you don't really have to leave, mm. but just kind of don't make it so conspicuous. Cause they were like sitting there oh, like piles of books yeah. everywhere. I was like, don't make it so conspicuous. Just like, don't make it look like you've been here for hours. And so that, you know, none of us get in trouble and then you can totally stay here. So maybe it was right. I was meant to be in a place where you wanted people to like camp out and stay there and read books. But you know, one of the things Frank that you brought up that I don't hear people mention, but to me is a huge driver is that when you work in a bookstore or a library, 
you're exposed to everything. You could yeah. be talking <laughs> history. You could be talking, as you said, chemistry or, and the idea that you can, that all of that is there for you to discover or learn. I, I was thinking about this a little bit. I was listening to one of your podcasts and I do want to talk about airplane reading because you brought mm. that up in one of the podcasts. But one of the things that was interesting to me, Gwen, that you talked about is that it was the first time you were traveling with just your Kindle. Oh, yeah. So I I want to talk a little bit about, so that's an anathema to me, mm-hmm. right? Just it, I'm sorry. It, I, no, no, it's okay. <laughs> me I'm too. Not, I'm not going to hold up it against Gwen, you. No problem. No, it's okay. They're all library books. <laughs> but I, but I want to ask a couple of different questions. Since we both live with phys- we all three of us live with physical books. So, what's the experience of reading a book on a Kindle? Is how how does the satisfaction of it change, or is it not the same? I mean, literally the experience of it. It's a really good question, and I have several answers. One of them is that I find it sometimes harder to remember the book because I mm. haven't seen the cover, I haven't interacted with the like physical object very much, and so it sometimes is harder for me to remember titles because I or authors because I don't have that same sort of like sense memory with the cover. Mm. Um, so that's one thing I think. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. like I was. It's actually you don't get to know it. In other words, right? I was having a really hard time remembering the name of the book that I had talked about on that episode, which is called "Speak No Evil." which Mm. isn't like a direct correlation to anything that happens in the book. And so I feel like part of the reason I was having such a tough time remembering it is because I had never held the book in my hand with that on the cover and opened it many times or anything like that. Well, Gwen, you know what that makes me wonder about? Mm. I'm involved with a nonprofit called Reach Grow, and Mm -hmm. one of our missions is to teach parents their their baby's first teachers. Mm. So we've done a lot of work, and there's been a lot of research around why zero to three should not be doing any screen time. Mm-hmm. So one of the, one of the um, research projects have shown that if you're not reading a physical book as opposed to reading on a screen, you are actually using a different part of your brain. Mm-hmm. And if the exposure is only to a computer-generated language, you actually will compromise your language development. Mm. So I wonder if the part of your brain, even as an adult, Mm -hmm. that you're using to read has a different memory log to it. I mean, I'm making this up. Right, right. It would make sense. Yeah, you know, I I had this weird, like occasionally, I'll have these weird moments about print versus computer. I mean, I hate reading online. I don't read online. I won't read online. I don't have a, I don't have a Kindle or anything like that. But I remember I was reading... I knew I loved a you. New York... Thank you. <laughs> I knew I loved you. I mean, I have a serious thing with it. I always tell this That's story. That's fine. When, I'll when stick people, up for all the evil Usually readers. older people come in because they were given a gift by their grandchild of a Kindle and they're so anxious about it. It gets me crazy. I'm like, don't even feel one minute of anxiety just because your lazy grandson no. gave you a Kindle because there's an no, easy... No, no. Quotes book to give, and they're like, Really? No, I'm like, there's a room full of books in there. That's anyway, a little harsh. That's, that's extremely harsh. As someone who to used be, to that's lead, debatable. I used to lead workshops in my library about how to use your e reader and how to download library books on your e reader. Those people. They just need to come talk to me. Just right. send them to me. Well, tell them you don't even want to talk to me about this. Go straight to Glenn. Now, it's a, this is a little bit of a non sequitur, <laughs> but are you also seeing, as we're seeing, that the bigger direction is not digital but audio mm. books? 
The, Are you seeing that that's yet? That's a great question. I don't know that I'm the person to answer that question. Mm, it's exploded for sure. I mean, certainly I mean, there's audible. more. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Certainly there's more than they, there used to be. But I was. I, gonna, but okay, wait. I have to stick up for e-readers for one second uh, here. It's so convenient. <laughs> it's so convenient when you're traveling, when you're on the train, when you're on a plane. You can go and that reading is a relationship and a commitment. Convenience doesn't enter. So I do an books awful and thing. e-readers are vehicles for the words and the thoughts and the ideas that the authors are conveying but you don't to you. Them as much Here's you what I do. This is awful. I shouldn't tell you. No, tell me. Do you know what I do? Uh-oh. Well, first of all, on airplanes, I like you, Frank, don't necessarily have the attention span to read a book. So I bring, I look like the crazy old white woman with all my newspapers and magazines. And I, you know, whoever's sitting next to me is like, this woman is insane because they, it just comes out of my bag as if my bag has no bottom. And I, I save up articles. I rip them up. But when I travel with a book, I bring paperbacks and I discard them piecemeal as oh. I read them. <laughs> yes, I rip them apart. up. I rip them. So if I read 50 pages on a plane, oh <laughs> I discard them. Or I give them to uh, who's sitting next to me if they want them. That's really funny. Because I can't read online. Yeah, I, I can't mean, either. it doesn't work it for doesn't my work. brain. No. I mean, there's we can go in so many directions. You're inspiring so much to, to respond to. The thing I was going to say before is that I was reading a magazine, and I had a moment where I f- was making a gesture to flip like swipe to the magazine, a print magazine. <laughs> and I realized what I was feeling was that I wanted to move quicker I, or I felt like I should oh. move quicker because screens, especially the phone, make me wa- go much faster and have less patience. And, um, and absorb less probably. Totally. I mean, because it, 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 it's a little frenzied. It's a little manic for me. But what I've realized too about traveling, the issue of traveling is that I do – especially now more than ever, have commitments and relationships with reading and books. And I just say, you're going to bring two books, and those are the two books you're bringing. And you're making a commitment to these books, and you're not going to have a frenzy of like, I don't like either one, so I can have like 5,000 more on my Kindle. Mine's a minimum of three. Right. And then I, but Even I, if I'm away for two days. Like you remember, and I must have said <laughs> on that other podcast that I have trouble reading on the plane because I'm too anxious, but I do like crosswords and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, so to me, it's important to have this okay. relationship. I want to say one more thing about reading a book. I know Do you always interrupt her. Yes. Oh! <laughs> We've gotten that constructive criticism before. Thank they... you for calling it out. Oh, look, you're so red. Uh, she was trying to interrupt me. I had to finish a point. Oh, you know what? She's too smart. This is amazing. Roxanne's been the, one of the smarter people we've had. I love this. She's calling me out. You're my favorite. You're my absolute See, I, I favorite person New you've ever talked to. They don't give a... They're yeah. like, are you a big blabbermouth, Frank? All right, you know what? I won't bring up my last point, which everybody's which life's going to change. Which would have been brilliant. I love it. She's like, we are moving on. It would have been brilliant, but next. Okay, next subject. Love it. So you did your first live <sighs> podcast. Yeah. Now, first of all, there was quite a, an applause. Was that like five people sounding like 500? Oh, my or? gosh. That was like the you nicest like moment of stars. my life. It was, there were a fair number of people there. It was really, really nice. Like, yeah. And I was really – I was – dreadfully nervous beforehand because yeah, it's a different experience very different like live performance is not really something that's in my lexicon it's mm-hmm. just not really my thing um but, but you're comfortable in great. front of a mic now i am i think it took a while for sure if you listen to our early episodes i think you can tell do you <laughs> think you did mic. the interview differently than you would have if it had been in the studio 
Which is, by the yeah. way, is a very small room. Yeah, yes. exactly. I do. It I was do much too. scarier. It was scarier. much more intimidating. It yeah. was, and also there was an audience to uh, react against. Right. Like, yeah. And to feed off of, and feeling their enthusiasm was energizing to us it would have been different i don't know how but it would have been different do you think you would have even asked different questions yeah totally yeah i do you can't help again the power of people you can't help but feel that energy what regardless of what is it was very positive for us thank god yeah but if it was not or variable we would have fed off of that i mean they seemed like they were just loving it it was so sweet they really did i feel like that conversation also went on a longer time than we would have done it in the studio because we felt like people were really interested like the energy felt really there yeah so will you do it again for sure i I would so i hope we do i think it's a great experience yeah all right so tell me what you're each reading that you just love oh oh my goodness what are we reading that we love recently does it matter oh you went whatever a book's a book you know (laughs) that's right backlist backlist yes yep Okay, I can do it, yes. So I just finished two books that I can't stop thinking about, which I read on that trip, and which, by the way, just because I'm going to go back to this, because I can never... Man, she's stubborn. I'm very stubborn. She is. So, okay, Connie Willis, who wrote, who writes these historical novels, time travel, super great. I read the first one, which was called Blackout, and it is this amazing story about this group of scientists who are in Oxford in the future who are time traveling back to all these different times. This particular group, and it's a series, it's gone on for a long time. These particular ones um, were published in like 2010, 2011, and there's two of them, and I knew it was a series. And when I left for the trip, I had been reading All Clear, and it was really good, and I was really into it, and I wasn't quite done. And I finished it, and I did not realize that it ended on this unbelievable cliffhanger. Oh, like downloaded another one. I downloaded it in the airport. <laughs> I knew where she was going with Yes, and I never would have been able to do that with a physical book. Uh, Even if there had been a bookstore right there, who knows if they would have had it. It's not a new book. It's not a and super that the experience here i am interrupting you and i would have been so <laughs> frustrated because i was ending on this like incredible intense high note and but i you really could have wanted the next one exactly I you, <laughs> you could have actually had to have contemplated it before you got there would have been a different experience i Let's guess it. Say it would have been different and you know what i think all these formats can really coexist yes thank you that's the other you know, point that i it's always a landscape of choice yeah. i always say. yeah and i just hope not- most people stop choosing that <laughs> Love you. Well, this, the, haven't ebooks like numbers been very stable slash flat, flat for down. a long time? Flat to down. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I think that there have been a lot of um, a lot of iterations of oh, this is going to take away from print books, and that's going to take away from print books. And I actually think the worry is not the digital books or the audio books that, but more, it's that people are reading more, but they're reading so many different ways. They're reading online. They're reading, you know, they're reading columns. They're reading Facebook. Mm -hmm. So I worry more about if you only have so much time for culture, Mm -hmm. the subset that's books, will that go down? Now, we're not finding that at RJ Julia's, but I I worry about it coming. Are you seeing that? No. Mm -hmm. We, we've seen a rise yep, in circulation and stuff up. like that. Well, I'm excited yeah. about yeah, that. Yeah, it's great. And a lot of people, yeah. I think, said it was because of the economic downturn. But now that that is, at least in theory, kind of ended, it's the circulation numbers are still going up. That's I good. I think it, in a nutshell, I think there is that experiential thing. I think, Roxanne, you have a point, like people have their phones. I remember talking, let, let this suffice as an example. 
talking to some young people who are in their tw- early 20s, late teens, and asked them what they, how they like to read. And they said the phones are for texting primarily mm-hmm. and sending pictures and stuff, but they want to read. They don't want to be reading and have a text message pop up or a bling or what they're missing. It's like put aside. They like to read books. Frank, data backs up what you just said. I, that, that one of the highest growth areas, young. I think, in seventeen or eighteen, was YA. Yeah, exactly. Young adult. So, exactly. so what are you loving that you're reading? I'd love to know what you think. I, I, of course, Gwen knows all my things, and we've talked about all our loves before. But I, there's a writer who's just on his second book named Ian Reed. Do you know him? He I, wrote. I don't. He wrote. I'm thinking of ending things. Was his first book, and his second book is called Foe. Hmm. I'd love to know what you think. He's a little on the creepy side, but he's he's literary and he is it science fiction? No, thrillery? it's more thrillery, but not genre thriller. It's yeah. definitely literary fiction, as we as we say. Like I'm thinking of ending things is really about just like out. something you know, someone who possibly is unwell. There's possibly murder. I mean, there's definitely <laughs> creepy moments, but he's such a trenchant writer in so many ways that just grabs me. I love that you found a way to use that word. Thank you. <laughs> I planned on it. It's not I rehearsed easy. it. It's not I, was, easy. I was like Robert De Niro and Taxi Driver, looking in the mirror, trenchant, trenchant, trenchant. Um, but, it's uh, not an easy word to and use. And his second uh, book is very much like a Twilight Zone episode. Mm. You remember that show? Yeah. Something very like I'm the only one among the three on. of us that saw them new. <laughs> <laughs> um, something a very like a great I love when uh, books are set in um, something, a recognizable world that we all know, but there's a twist to it that, yeah. that changes it. Like, wait, we're all these people that seem very familiar to me, but there's an element that's not really right. Mm-hmm. That's what that I was love like. Twilight so Ian Zone. Reed. All right. I'm going to check fave. that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, one thing that I'm curious about is, so you've done the podcast for how long? 45 years now. <laughs> Just like that. Pre-birth. Since two, um, 2015, we had December. We one episode in 2015, yeah. and then we've been doing... So, a little over so basically years. three years of recording. Basically, so does it change it. how you read or what you read? Yeah, I'm, well, I have a rule again, like a lot of things. Like I don't want this ever to feel like work. Like I don't want it to feel yeah. like, ugh. But it invariably does have a pressure because I know that I have to do the podcast and it's like, well, what am I going to talk about? There has to, I maybe should even prepare more than I do. I, I should probably try that out to see if it works better. I don't know. But I can't make it anything other than just organic, even though mm-hmm. there is a little bit of a pressure. So you think about it, but it's not driving or no, changing it, behavior. No, I just won't let it. But it is a, you know, I have to do it. And I do enjoy it. Mm. And I, I enjoy hearing. And I always think, all right, I don't have much to talk about. Maybe I didn't read something. And then something. you do. Then, and then I do, exactly. Yeah. And I'll yeah. also just riff off of Gwen. Like, you know, Gwen will talk about her stuff and I'll be, like, be asking her questions, which yeah. is How about for you, Gwen? It, yeah, it does change it a little bit. I think in some is a good way. I I get very conscious of like when I'm on a kick with something. So I, for instance, served on this committee for a long time here at NYPL that chooses um, the best works of nonfiction over the course of a year. And the committee meets over like six months and it's mm. all long form journalism. So it's all wow. nonfiction. It's super intense. It's super depressing often. And I would be very conscious in like November, December, as we're sort of like getting to the real meat of the committee that I had come to the podcast and talked about climate change and Wall Street and these just like in politics, these very intense, often really sad books um, over and over and over again. (laughs) 
And I would just be like, oh my God, who is listening to this and why are they still listening? And is Frank going to be really bored by me going into this book once again? Um, so yeah, it does, it, it definitely makes me more self-aware, yeah. if nothing else. Yeah. And I don't know that this is about doing the podcast, but I finish probably only 10% of the books I start mm. these days. Oh, really? There's another great book I can pick up, and this mm-hmm. one's not doing it. When I was a little bit younger, I would worry, oh, God, what if it gets great exactly. at page 210? Yeah. Yeah. What if the ending will blow me away mm-hmm. and change my exactly. life, yep. and I won't get there? But something else. Yeah. There is an evolution with reading. That's like I said before, true. it's a relationship. I used to be that way too. Now I'm like, yep. you know what? There's other fish in the sea. Uh-huh. <laughs> I also get you really... feel conscious of time. Right. And I feel very conscious also of like holding back on certain books. Like I had a copy of the new Angie Thomas book mm. and I was really excited to read it. And then I was like, wait a minute, I have to time this right for the podcast. Like at a time when I don't have something else that I know I need to be talking about. So like... So it's fresh. It Exactly. Right. And also so it's available. Like, I don't want to talk about something that I might have an early copy of before people at the library can physically get their hands right. on a copy themselves. Mm. So I don't, I never, we, I think both never talk about books before right. their release dates ever. And do you think, I, I, I thought about this, so for people who are listening to us, we're recording in New York, and I was a guest on Frank and Gwen's show. And how would they look up your show? I want to make sure they know. You can go to iTunes and, or you can just Google the librarian is in. Um, so you can go to iTunes and find it in Apple podcasts. You can go uh, to nypl.org slash podcast and see it there. You can just Google it. You'll find us. Yeah. Good. I want to make sure everybody thank you. knows yes, thank you. Uh, how to get to your <laughs> show. So the question I ask all our guests <sighs> is, what is the book that changed your life? <laughs> I thought really hard I about this question. You knew it was coming. <laughs> Why do you hate it, Frank? Okay, I think right, my theme for this conversation has been books or relationships. Maybe I... I can't give one book that credits. I mean, I don't, I don't know. But even though that sounds like the opposite of what I want to say, let me. I did, I did think about this because I had a feeling. But you know what my real answer is, and it's going to be grown worthy, and you're going to roll your eyes and stuff. Is that I think all of them have. Like I really can't remember being completely 100% life changed by one particular book. I mean, I've certainly had mm-hmm. intense emotions. Like when I read Wuthering Heights for the first time, I was like in a trance for a week. Maybe it changed my life, but it it definitely had an impact. But I definitely look at words and books as sort of this amazing relationship between me and that object and that author's brain through those words coming to me. And I always find it a very magical, interesting experience, even with so-called books I might even have forgotten. Mm -hmm. But I feel like they have... They have changed me. I mean, they have become part of my DNA. There are sometimes I realize there's words that I'll sometimes say, like maybe trenchant, that I actually read first in a book before I heard it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the kind of reader it. I was. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I mean by that's how I would define change me. Not like change my psych- psyche or emotionally per se, but just incrementally became part of me. Mm-hmm. That's my answer. And I think so, it's pretty darn highfalutin. So, <laughs> so Frank. I, I, I'm going to give you credit for no one having answered that question that way (laughs) and it being a perfectly legit answer. Thank you. But the other thing it reminds me of is in the book called, I think it's called Why Read the Classics Mm -hmm. uh, by Calvino, he defines the definition of a classic. And and I'm not going to get this exactly right, but it rearranges your brain 
but it rests in your unconscious. Yeah. And that's pretty much what you are describing. Yeah. Is it's all that stuff is sort of sitting around in your brain. And you don't know what you're retrieving or what your reaction is that came from the book. Yeah. And the other thing it reminds me of, and I wish I could remember who wrote this, is that the act of reading, that the relationship between you and the book is actually in some ways the most intimate thing that you'll do because you're most exposed most oh you're allowing yourself to think about things or go to places that you wouldn't necessarily even with a person you're very close to but the book is sort of causing you to go there does that make any sense absolutely 100% mm-hmm. i mean that's what i was going to add it before about the difference in reading on a device or the book too in in a weird way reading a book book feels like no one's watching Mm-hmm. Even though I'm exactly. on a device and nobody maybe is per se watching, well, it still you feels don't know like that. It, right. Frank, you don't know. But there's a delicious feeling of intimacy being alone with a book. This is sounding strange. Um, <laughs> that I find very important to me and I do find very focusing and magical. And you just put it perfectly, I think, Roxanne. So thank you. All right, Gwen. Okay, Gwen. Try to top that. Yeah, go yeah, ahead. I don't know. Mine is very different because I She's was like, like it was the I was trying to play by the rules. Yeah. That's what we do as women. <laughs> yeah, right. We try to play <laughs> by the rules. Men feel like they don't have to it's follow like the rules. It's like our whole life's project to try to figure out how to stop that, right? I know. Stop, I right? know. Exactly. Men thrive and are like rewarded for but it. But still be a good girl ladies, and tell ladies. me a book. Go, yeah. Okay. Okay. I have two. So okay. maybe I will read a two, it. Okay. Two's good. So two. So one of them is very much in the sense of the Calvino definition that you were just using that mm-hmm. like rearranges your brain and sits with you. And that is Donna Tartt's Secret History. Wow. Um, because that was a book where the narrator was both unreliable and also talking directly to you. Yeah. And so the way that that sort of broke down the fourth wall, I think really just made me see it as this like new, fresh, exciting thing. And that book really stayed with me for a long time. And Frank and I actually fairly recently reread that book. Um, and looking back on it, it feels like a very different book than it did to me when I read it when I was like 15 or whatever. When the first first time I read it, it really stayed with me, really kind of redefined to me what books could be and how they sort of lived in my psyche. You know what's so weird? What? Because we've had such a nice sense of connection. Do you know last week I took Secret History off my shelf to reread? Mm-hmm. And it's sitting, Interesting. It's sitting on uh, in the place in our bedroom that's like next uh, next it will move to the nightstand. Oh, yeah. Oh. But I took it off the shelf and it was... And I thought, you know, I wonder if how this book resonated uh-huh. with me, and as opposed mm-hmm. to you being 15, I was 35, that it resonated with me in a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm very curious okay, so I'm to hear what you it. think of it as an adult. I, it looked very different to me yeah. through adult eyes, because um, I was younger than those kids when I read it the first time, the characters in the book, this, if yeah. anyone hasn't read it's it, it's a book about college students, right? Um, I was younger than them and thought they were like impossibly romantic mm. and brilliant. And as an adult, I no longer find them impossibly romantic and brilliant. Interesting. Yeah. And what's your second okay, book? Okay, so my second one is actually a recent book. It's 2016, and it's The Upside of Unrequited by Becky Albertalli. Um, she also wrote Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda. She is a YA author who I really love. And The Upside of Unrequited is a love story 
about a fat girl, a fat teenager. And it was pretty much the first time that I had seen my own self reflected in a book in quite that way. Mm. And we, I think we give a lot of and attention. got it right. Got it mm. so right. So right. It's the book. I mean, the book is like a joy from start to finish, first of all. But so like it's worth reading no matter what. But because she was bringing so much, I think, of her own experience to the book, mm. it just resonated so well with me. And we talk so much and so correctly about representation and how important it is for people to see themselves in books that I almost didn't even realize how little I had ever seen myself in books for that reason. That like weight is really not ever given the weight that it deserves. And this book just did it so beautifully. And like, I, yeah, I can't say enough good things about it. I wonder, I like it. you said about the secret history, if that when you were a teenager, if this book existed, how different you would have been or yeah. what kind of impact it would have had reading right? it as a 15-year-old. Right. I would really like to know because the way that fat teenagers were portrayed in books when I was reading them as a teenager, either they were totally invisible and weren't there or it was solely about their weight and their their central problem was always how they were going to get right. thinner. And like I, that mm. didn't really resonate with me and it was definitely not the kind of like body positivity message that I hope that teenagers are getting now or at least a little bit closer to that I hope, yeah, hope. and yeah, yeah hope. right but like people always point to like blubber look at blubber yeah. look at the title of it nothing against Judy Plume obviously but like right it's like the one book yeah. and it's called blubber come right. on guys like <laughs> we can do better than that and so I think now we are doing Good. better than that but you know it's true all around is. like when you were saying this I remembered when I was in sixth grade mm-hmm. I was my height which is five seven which mm-hmm. is not wow. tall as a grown-up but I was tall then yeah and I was so skinny, and I had very, very curly hair. And they used to call me Natasha from Bullwinkle. And I was like, you know, so that was, so there isn't like a body image that works, yeah, right. right? You know, I was like as skinny as you could be. But I had curly hair when everybody wanted straight hair, and it was brown, it wasn't blonde. And, you know, so there's always something, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. that you're not, well, we could go on forever. We've run out of time. We've been speaking with Gwen Glazer and Frank Calarius. They are the hosts of the wonderful podcast called The Librarian is In. And I know I'll have you both back on the show. Oh. It's been really oh. a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank come you see so your much. store. I yeah. Know. Die to. Right. Come Take visit. A day trip. Oh, I would love to. Okay. Yeah. Great. Great. It's going to happen. Done. <laughs> We love hearing your comments and book recommendations. Please keep them coming. Email us at info at justtherightbookpodcast.com or reach out to us on our Facebook or Twitter pages. Just the Right Book Podcast is produced by Collisions, the podcast division of CRN International. Our original music was created by Mark Berman. Our producer is Christina Torres. Our audio engineer is Pat Keo. And thank you all so much for listening.